Hey, Ben. Hey, Don. How's it going? Good. It's kind of a surprise to, to see you today. <laughs> Not at all. Is it? No, but the way okay. you answer that, you're like, hey, who, who could this be? Who could be calling me? No, it's not a surprise. We've we've had this plan for at least uh, almost two weeks, a week and a half. Almost two weeks. Almost two weeks. Almost two weeks. It's a it's an early morning podcast today for us. It, it is. It, it's an early morning, and it's it's going to be weird, Ben, because oh um, we're gonna we're gonna have an early morning podcast where we don't actually see each other, and then I'm gonna see you later today, right, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. How weird is that? It is going to be weird. Um, we don't uh, we don't usually do this uh, super early like this, but you have a flight. You're coming here to North Carolina to speak at the North Carolina Food Safety and Defense Task Force, and I'm also uh, I'm also on the bill tomorrow. Um, I don't. Is, I think is your talk written? Uh, no, no, not okay, at all. Good. Mine isn't either. But I, mine's a little different than I normally do. Um, I'm gonna. I, why don't I write it right now while we talk about it? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so the 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 entire conference is focused on food waste and um, how that impacts food safety in a big, like, sort of general way, right? Like, so diverted food and um, donations and how do we cut down food waste um, with food safety. Uh, better food safety decisions. And I know someone's talking about recalls and um, the issue around um, recalling food and how much might be contaminated, but we have to recall lots of it. So lots, lots of stuff. Um, And I've been working on a project that talked about it a little bit on the podcast, um, but a project called stew of sustainability, which is not something I named. I'm not very good at naming things. Um, but, uh, I'm talking about our, our process of how the project came about and what my role has been. And the guy who really drives it, his name's, uh, Tom, uh, McKernan. He's also talking with me on at the same time. And so the whole idea of the project is, um, he's been working with hotels and caterers who have a lot of food left over at the end of an event. So it's different from a restaurant, but you know, they, they're, Contract says you have to make so many plates, and they make that plus whatever percentage, and then at the end they have all this food that that isn't going to get eaten. And so we, he, Tom, had this idea of of devising a way for them to then take that food and donate it uh, to food banks. And we talked about lots of different ways to to do that, um, and then settled upon a way. That is that doesn't require a variance and, and doesn't need any um, special um, permission and everything's done within the food code. But it's a little bit uh, it involves a bunch of uh, standard operating procedures. So so anyway, I get to talk about that nerdy stuff. Well, there and my a- talks my talks written now. <laughs> So, so this is this is also going to be a new. Uh, it's going to be a new talk for me. It's not one that I've uh, I've written before, and it's going to be uh, basically also around obviously this issue of food waste. But it's going to be specifically uh, looking at the conference for food protection document that I helped to write. A number of years ago on um, food safety in emergency situations. So when, let's say you're in a a Superstorm Sandy situation um, and you lose power, uh, what do you do to manage the food safety of the foods that are in in these um, convenience stores or 
grocery stores and you lose power, like obviously, you know, we have the, the food code requirements for a reason, but what happens when, you know, the, those, you know, you start to lose the ability to maintain temperature control, where do you, where do you draw the line or how do you decide uh, to go about drawing the line about where those foods can be used? And I'm going to talk about that because I think that that general principle or those general principles that we use to write that document should be helpful or should be, could be used to help with these sorts of situations. And so again, it's going to be, it's the same as the other talks that I do and that I'm going to talk about modeling, uh, computer modeling, but I'm also, but it's really, it's really talking not just about computer modeling, but it's about how do you use the risk-based information with risk management decisions to, to sort of come up with some sort of a structure for, for how do you, how do you manage this? Because there's going to be some situations where it's safe or where it's okay. shouldn't say safe. Um, there's some situations where it's going to be higher risk and some situations where it's going to be lower risk. And then where do you draw the line? Right. And, and the maths, right? The maths, the maths matter. I, I have a maths, I have a maths question for you that, that I I can't, I can't spill. I'm, we're going to talk a little cryptic about it because it's something that I'm working on that hasn't been published yet. Um, but so, so say, say there was a study that, um, we were looking at cross contamination from ready to eat or from raw foods to ready to eat foods. And those ready to eat foods were fresh produce. And um, in the study that, that, that we did, we showed about – like let's pretend that people made some food in a kitchen and let's we'll leave it at that. And after uh, X number of people made a bunch of food in the kitchen, um, 6% of the time we found some, some stuff that we put on the food that they made in, uh, in salads. Uh, cause they were also making salads. They were making one thing and then the salad. <laughs> this is gonna... okay. okay. Got it. You I'm, got... I'm ha- not, not really, but keep going. Okay. We're on the big board here. Uh, okay. uh, and then, so, so, so if we were to look at fresh produce, I, I kind of cite this, I, I don't know if it's a, a, a made up or an aggregate stat of, um, somewhere in between one or two, one to 2% of fresh produce that we get to us as consumers, I would expect has, a human pathogen on it. And the way that I arrive at that is um, there was some work that was done, a big survey study a while ago uh, done by um, uh, Francisco, Francisco Rod- Rodriguez, Francisco, what's Francisco's name from the University of Georgia? Uh, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yes, uh, Francisco Diego. Diego. Uh, no, Diego. Diaz Rodriguez. Diaz anyway, Rodriguez. Oh, we'll, we'll look up Francisco from UGA. Yeah, Francisco. Okay, so where where he showed like one to two one to two percent in a big survey, and then I look back at the USDA MDP and FDA's um, sampling um, uh, assignments, and, and say, okay, that's what we would expect. That or that's what Diaz, I, Francisco Diaz Gonzalez. Gonzalez. Oh my gosh, we're we're terrible, terrible people. No, um, no, he's got a confusing name, and I, I often don't remember it. So that's true. That's true. Um, so, so the question lies, and this is something that I've been—I woke up this morning and started writing, and have been working on—is what what's the difference between you know the baseline estimate of stuff that comes into a home at one to two percent, and our really small slice study of six percent with the surrogate that, that we used. And the reason why I want to have this conversation is to me, that is 6% is a lot. Um, 
it, it, because it it shouldn't. I, I don't know. It, I, I, it, to me, that means that six percent of the time, with everything all like everything going wrong, we ended up with the surrogate in the you know, in in the lettuce and the ready salad. Um, some people are looking at this this letter this letter this uh, number as well. That's really low, and I look at it as it's really low. Except if we were to put that information into a risk assessment, if I went from one to two percent the expected coming in to six percent, that seems like it's uh, could lead to a significant public health risk. It's not like a hundred percent of the salads are. are um, are becoming contaminated, but it's, it's more than uh, would have been contaminated if, if someone wasn't preparing this, this other food. And so I'm trying to make, right. right uh, so do I tell me about my, my maths? Like, are, are, is that the same way that you would look at it? Yeah, I, I think you're right. So the question is like, what's the, because, and and you notice earlier in the conversation, I don't know if you caught that, that I said safe and I corrected right. myself because right. there is no, one of the, you know, there's a lot of points that I try to make over and over again um, because, uh, you know, there's somebody born every day that's never heard uh, Merlin's analogy about the Flintstones, right? So um, that's a that's a that's a deep deep reference for all our new listeners who've come to us uh, from from Dubai Friday that might that might have also listened to other uh, things that Merlin has talked on. But um, the point is, there's wh- what we're talking about is risk. And then risk above baseline. And so what you're telling me is that you arrived at a baseline risk of around 1% or 2%. And then compared to that baseline risk, what you're saying over here when you have these practices or this situation, that baseline or that, that, that risk from, from you know, bad practices is now 6%. And so the question that you have to ask yourself – punk. <laughs> That's another reference. Um, is, you know, do you feel lucky today to continue the, continue the <laughs> reference, right? So is, um, you know, uh, I, I, I might have, I, I, I think I fired 5% or 6%. Um, so, uh, to, to strain the analogy even further. So, um, no, but, um, so the question is, is 1% different than 6%? And I would say, yes, absolutely. 1% is different than 6%. In fact, you might even say 6% is, is six times higher than 1%, right? So, right. right. Yeah. Yes. So this is this. It, and, and, and kudos to you for, for trying to come up with a number that wasn't zero. Right. Because and, and, and arrive at it in a scientific way. If now I guess a bigger question is be what would be if, if you had done this experiment and the number had been one percent. Right. Well, that now now you're kind of stuck because now you don't. It's like, well, it's one percent, which from a risk assessor's perspective, that's a really high number. Right. Like what if what if one percent of all cars exploded every day. Right. Well, that would be a lot of exploding cars. Right. So, um, you have to ask the question, you know, what to do in that situation. I think in your situation, it's quite clear that like this 6% scenario that you're talking about is, 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 is not good, right? It's, 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 it's risky. It's, 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 it's risky and it's significantly riskier than the baseline. And so you should do something about that or one, one should do something. You should, you should have some intervention in those situations to see if you can take that number from 6% down to something lower. And and I guess the, the, with the team as we're discussing this, one of the things that, um, it's about, I think the baseline and the expectation is really the, the, the key here, right? Like where, um, some folks that may not be as familiar with the the baseline calculations look at six percent and say, "Well, that's really low. Like it's not. I mean, that means ninety four percent didn't have anything in it, which is 
absolutely true. But if let's magnify that over, um, I, you know, a couple of billion meals prepared a year um, it, that that look like this, right? Like we're to to your car exploding analogy. Now now we're looking at magnitudes of um, of foodborne illness out there that that might be coming from this what looks like a small amount of um, contamination prevalence. The, so here's another math question on this one for you. So if my baseline is 1% to 2%, that's what I'm expecting comes in. I'm, I see this as adding another 6%, not this is compared to, right? Like some of this might be on top of the 1% to 2% that comes in. So now I've got a pathogen that's coming in to the kitchen and I'm cross-contaminating it with some. But in other cases... I'm cross like that one to two percent still exists, and in the some of it's going to lie within the ninety four percent as well. Is that now have I lost you? No, I think you're right. <laughs> so it's not it's not it's not that the risk is one percent versus six percent. It's actually one percent versus one plus six percent. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's that's it. I've been. I mean, this. I got up at five thirty this morning to to work on this. <laughs> Oh, and no. yeah, no, and and I'm I'm wired up. I Don, I've been I've been really trying. I, I've been listening to podcasts where people talk about sleep, and I, <laughs> and 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 it's and what you're saying is it's affecting your sleep. It is, but I'm trying. Like I, so I went to bed at a very reasonable time last night, ten ten o'clock. I was oh, it, wow. yeah, oh yeah, I was in bed with a plan of I sometimes and uh, you may make these types of uh, trade offs with yourself. As well, it's like, well, I could stay up to do this, but I really just want to go to sleep. So why don't I go to sleep and then get up to do it? And that was the deal that I made with with myself this morning or last night, which I feel so good about because I would have stayed up and not done it and then not gotten up early and I would have been behind. You know, you know what I mean? Like it would have been a bad – a trade-off that I wouldn't have follow, followed through on. But yeah, actually, and I, and the old, older I get, the more I make that same decision. I'm just going to go to sleep and get up early. And I don't know if that's because I'm I'm making better decisions when I'm older, or I just don't have the stamina to do, to do it the old way anymore. But anyway, it doesn't matter, right? Right, right. It's but whatever. I think it's it's like why we do writing writing buddies, and it's like why we plan things. If I if I can try to do a better job predicting what my time and um, work habits are, then I can more succinctly plan it. Right. And that's what I tried. That's what I did this morning. So I got up. I, I, I usually, um, even when I try to make this, uh, deal with myself, I, I totally mess it up in the morning where I'm like, well, yeah, I got up at five 30, but I'm going to lay, I'm awake. Let me just read the internet for like an hour. Um, which kind of defeats the purpose of me getting up at five thirty. So, I was the only one that did that. <laughs> we should have a whole podcast on that. Um, so, uh, so I actually got up and, and instead of reading the internet, I, I, I started uh, working on this this analysis, and, and I was and, and so that's what that's why it's fresh in my mind, and I wanted to ask you about it because um, about ten minutes before we started our podcast, and five minutes before I started making coffee is when I finally finished the. The the you know, I, it was two and a half hours worth of looking at and reading to get four sentences of uh, of analysis, um, and I I finally got to it, and then I was like, wait a sec, maybe I, let me let me see if I'm explaining this correctly. So that's that's how we got to right now. That was cool. Yeah. Well, um, well, I um I am have not been awake 
since since five thirty. I think I think I, I think I woke up around. I think I woke up before my alarm at seven, um, but then I I got up around seven and took a shower, took the dogs for a walk, made breakfast. Only had time to have one cup of coffee, and so I'm I'm a couple hours and and probably uh, at least one coffee behind you. <laughs> so I, it's okay. You get to catch up on a plane today, <laughs> right? Like that's I, yeah. I okay. gotta write my talk. Well, <clears throat> how so? Or something. Yeah, let's talk about then. This is a productivity on plane safety talk now. <laughs> but how? Uh, how predictable is your is your workflow in travel? Do you find like are you able to consistently say, I know that I have to get to the airport. I'm going to have to spend some time at the airport. Then I'm going to spend some time on a plane. I will be able to get X done in that in that time frame. And like, are you are, is that are you pretty good at being able to predict that? Um, as long as I as long as I don't predict too much. Um, yes. Like in other words, I, I, the problem is, is I am never, I am never as, um, uh, well, you know what, what is it? Uh, what's the, what's the thing about, um, um, uh, I think this is from, from Godel Escher Bach, uh, which is a wonderful book if you haven't read it. And that is that, um, uh, things take longer. Um, even when you consider the fact that, you know, that things are going to take longer than you expect. I've, that's not, it's none of, none of what I've just said is correct, but, <laughs> but it gets, it gets to the point. I'll think of it again, Ben, if I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm only one cup of coffee, uh, in here yeah, we'll and it was a, a small cup. Um, but, um, yeah, it always takes longer. Moore's not not Moore's law, but anyway, somebody's law, it always takes longer, even when you take s- somebody's law into effect. Um, uh, but, but, uh, so I, um, I am, I'm not terribly productive when I'm traveling. And, but what I've learned is that what I am, like, I, there are certain kinds of things that I can do when I'm traveling. And then there's other things that I'm less effective at doing. So in other words, if, if it's just, I was explaining this to my wife talking about, um, big rocks versus mosquito tasks. And she said, Oh, is that a David Allen thing? And it's like, I don't, I'm not really sure that might be a, <laughs> might be a Merlin man thing, or it might be from somewhere else. But the idea is like, okay, if all I have to do is, is d- answer and delete emails, like I can do that sitting in the yeah. airport lounge. If I have to put heads down and write a paper, I might be able to do that, but it kind of depends upon what else I've got going on. Right. Like it depends upon and I was talking about this actually just the other day too, is like, well, I know I'm like my email inbox is my email inbox is in, thank you, is in really good shape. Um, You're I, welcome. So I'm, I, know, I, was, <laughs> my, I, I have been talking about needing coffee and my lovely wife just brought me in because I, I texted her and, and she's, she's amazing. She brought she me in. I don't usually, I, I usually, I make my own coffee. I just, for, for I want everybody to know that, that uh, I, I make my own coffee, but um, occasionally, um, you know, uh, she, I will ask her for a favor and she'll make me a coffee. So she did. Um, and then she closed my office door because, because the, the dogs are now following her around oh. and making a lot of noise. So, um, what was I saying about, um, productivity on the plane, uh, getting things done, yeah. mosquito tasks. Oh yeah. So, um, and so right now my email inbox is in quite good shape. Um, it was empty, like basically when I turned off the light last night, but I've also got a lot of unprocessed tasks in my OmniFocus. And this is, you know, again, something you and I have talked about, like to what extent are we using OmniFocus versus using our inbox to handle our tasks? And, and I'm, and I'm not using OmniFocus, you know, don't, don't, don't email me. <laughs> Please, please email Merlin. I'm not using my uh, OmniFocus correctly because um, uh, I've got a lot of things with that are overdue with fake due dates, which I know is not 
you know, appropriate and not, not, a, not, not true GTD. But, but I do know that that's where pretty much I think all of my important tasks are, except for the three tasks that I've written in my little, um, notebook, um, my handwritten notebook for things that I just really have to get done. So again, I'm, I'm not very good at manage at time management or task management, but to answer your question, um, I'm going to be moderately productive. And the other thing, too, is that it's I'm going to wait probably at the airport at least as long as it's going to take for me to fly down to see you, right? So like half right. the trip is waiting at the airport and then half the trip is is flying is flying down to North Carolina. And so um, I don't – and it's a, it's a – it's not a, like a small – commuter jet but it's it's like the next size up from the from the the ones that just have the one seat on one side and two seats on the other side so um it's which i'm never very i, I can't really work on a laptop in in those circumstances what i what i what i often will do when i'm traveling via plane is i'll review manuscripts because i can do those on my ipad and yeah. that's and i'm kind of grumpy and irritated and generally inconvenienced which i think is like that's what i always tell my graduate students imagine that the person who is reviewing your manuscript right now it's if they've had a long, hard day at work, they're tired, they just had a fight with their spouse, maybe they've had a drink, and they're just like just not in the mood for crap. And that and that's that's their state of mind when they read your manuscript. And so you have to write it so that that it that even they will will find value and and utility in it. And so and so that's and so that's the kind of state of mind I create for myself when I review manuscripts too. <laughs> well, I have not thought of it that way um, in the writing, but I will uh, take that and and pass that on because it is true. I I, I am I, I I have used the uh, rule of I, I don't know how many um, I, I use the rule of three because you know I like to do things in threes, but I think you might have a rule that's more like for every paper that you submit you review more papers and I try to do for every paper that is something I review, I'll, I'll, I'll say yes to three. I actually very often say yes to, to almost everything that, that comes, comes across. Um, and, uh, but, and I am often late and someone's, um, reminding me of my lateness of the review. And so I'm really just trying to bang it out while I'm sitting doing something else, like on, on my couch, watching TV or in, in transit. I'm, I'm very often not reviewing these papers, um, like sitting, sitting at my desk and, and this is the fresh thing for me to do today. Cause it's not, it's a different kind of brain space. Right. So I am kind of grumpy and irritated and, um, in that. And I'm going to, I agree. I like that. Um, yeah. well, and, and here's the thing. It's like, I'll review manuscripts cause that's what a good scientist does, but I'll be damned if I'm going to burn my productive time when I'm writing my own manuscripts to review your manuscript. Right. Like, like, and that's, and that's, right. that's a little bit selfish, but on the other hand, I think that's entirely appropriate. I'm going to save the best time for my own work because I, Honestly, I'm trying to make my own work as good as possible so that when you, anonymous reviewer out there, are at the end of your day and you're in a, a crappy mood, that I write something that you like and that you will get value out of and that you can even read when you're, um, when you're you know, not 100 percent focused, right? Like the, the, the writing has to be that good and that clear because you've got to you – know, it's, it's like it's easy for me to think something. It's hard for me to, to put that into words and convey it to, to another, another mind and that really takes you know, me at the top of my game. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, as opposed to this podcast, which usually, like, I will do that in the afternoon because I don't feel sorry, dear listeners. I don't feel like I need to be at the top of my game to have a conversation. I mean, no, no offense, Ben. I mean, not, I, and it's not you. I'll take like, it. It's like it's like you know, it's it's a conversation, and that's a good thing to do. Like at, at, when your when your energy level is is down, right, and 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 versus when it's up and you're at your at your peak. 
So and yeah. and I do find I mean we we've talked about why we do this podcast in the past, but I find that having this conversation with you does energize me sometimes for mm-hmm. the rest of what else I'm going to do. Right? Like it's it's a good to have it in a downtime. It's like hey, let's sit down and have a break. Let's have a coffee. Um, maybe drink some bourbon, depending on what time it is that we're uh, recording. And and then afterwards, I'm like all jazzed up. Let's let's jump to something else. We, we haven't had a bourbon podcast in some time. We, well, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> haven't had a overtly bourbon podcast maybe um i do think that one of the the uh you know speaking of past podcasts one of the best ones uh that we had was uh when um an early early podcast with mike bats when uh mike bats got progressively drunker as the podcast went on uh (laughs) yeah he was he was in a hotel room he was uh yeah that was that was a pretty good one so uh, not sitting very close to his router, I think. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I, all this, I mean, one of the things that that I I, I, I struggle with, or I, I, you know, we probably all struggle with this, is how to get in and out of uh, productivity type of groove, whether it's in food safety or in our in our lives, and that's I'm I'm constantly trying to mix up how I do things to, to capture that. And, and so I, the reason why I asked you about flights and how, how do you do in travel is that I'm progressively finding myself not able to predict that I, I, I was. <laughs> and so, so now I'm planning, I'm planning zero. And if I get to stuff, then that's a, a pleasant surprise. Um, and even like, even just reading stuff, I just I'm finding myself in in this space of you know when I'm on a plane, I just want to watch a documentary or something. Huh. Um, and and where, what I have found to be useful is instead of when I when I get to the arriving place, I will go to the lounge and sit and maybe do an hour or an hour and a half of work there before I go to where I'm supposed to be if I have enough time to do so. Right. Like, Whoa. Yeah. So, so I'm, I, I'm finding that to be more productive. Um, and I don't know if that's because, you know, we, we've talked about my, my goal is to not be like, I try to not be away from my family as much as possible. And I, so that in turn leads to me having really early morning flights sometimes. And so I'll get up at five and get to the airport and, and I, I may on that first sort of flight, you know, say, say I'm going to, to DC or Atlanta, which has been where I've gone, I think five or six times between those two um, cities in this year so far. And um, I'll get there really early, but I don't need to be at the meeting until nine or 10 o'clock or whenever I'm talking or whatever I'm doing. So, so I'll have an hour and a half and I'll just go, you know, dr- grab some coffee and pretend that I'm flying somewhere, <laughs> I guess, and sit in the lounge and use the Wi-Fi and then just decompress from the, from the flying and get some work done then. But on the plane, I've just been horribly, it's been uh, unpredictable. So I'm just like, okay, well don't plan on doing anything there. Oh, that's that's fascinating. And and they and I guess it probably depends upon the lounge rules. But but like I know when I so I I, a number of years ago, I bought um, uh, United lounge access after uh, David Tharp showed showed me into a Delta lounge. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is I got this is going to be my new my new thing now, because this is just way better than sitting out with the the (laughs) great unwashed masses. Um, But um, 
now I, I don't, I, all I have to do, they, they, it's linked to my frequent flyer number. And so they just scan my boarding pass yep. to get in. And I, but I wonder if I've already boarded that flight, is that, is that boarding pass actually like, would that get me into the lounge? Well, it does at least okay. with, with Delta. With, okay. Yeah. So it's, um, you can use that lounge, um, as you know, as many times on the day that you're flying as you want, wherever. Okay. Yeah. With my rules. And I'm, I'll tell you my other travel life hack trick is, um, there's really good, um, Starbucks latte machines in the Delta lounges. And I will arrive back at RDU after a flight and go into the lounge and grab a coffee for my drive home. Um, and Ooh, that is a life hack. Wow. There you go. Yeah. You know, the, the, um, that's wow. That is like, so they don't, there's not, it's not Starbucks branded, um, in the United lounges. Um, uh, but they do have in most of them now, uh, they have a really nice espresso slash latte machines. So, wow. There you go. I'm, wow. I'm, I'm showing you, I'm showing you the way. Jeez. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a hack. It's a, it's a hack. So, so anyway, that's <laughs> going back to where we started. That's where <laughs> I, um, yeah, and I, I'm, this is in, in my mind because tomorrow after our talks at the um, North Carolina Food Safety and Defense Annual Meeting, I am on my way to uh, New York City, and I will – my flight's at like 4.30 or something tomorrow afternoon, and I will – I don't know what to – like, I, I – sorry, I know what to plan. I, I'm planning not to be able to get something done, and if – I still bring all of my stuff. Like, I'm, I'm set up in a way where – I, I, you know, I, I do a lot of, uh, carry on. So, uh, but I will get my, um, little tiny MacBook adorable out and my iPad and my headphones and I'll sit there and I'll be like, you know what? I may get to something here. Uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm just not, I'm just not able to do it in the same way that I, that I have been in the past and maybe it'll come back, but yeah. Um, Cool. So, yeah. Uh, so, so there's a few, a few things before we get like heavy into the, into the food safety world, um, that I want to talk about. I saw you dropped in lost in space into our notes file and you, yes. I, I saw that you had started watching this. So tell me about it. Is this, tell me, I, I have two questions. One is, should I watch this? And I, I remember watching this, like the original version when I was a kid and being kind of creeped out by it and not really liking it. Um, but the second question is, is it something that I can watch with my children? <laughs> um, so the, so there's a couple things in there to unpack. So first of all, I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. Second of all, I was also really creeped out by this and I'm really glad to hear you say that you were also creeped out by the original lost in space. And I, I've been racking my brains and cause my, my wife also watched it and we were watching, this is one of the shows we're watching together and she was like, you were scared by that? Yeah. Like, what's like, what's wrong with you? Right. Um, and, and, it, and, and I think I put my, my finger on it is that the, uh, the, the Dr. Smith character in the original, he was just so skeevy he was. and I was always like really worried that he was going to really screw things up for them. Well, okay. And, and he was, so I'm looking at the, um, I mean, Dr. Smith was the, and, and I really didn't like the robot. What is it? Uh, B9, right? Okay. Whatever. I didn't like the – that the robot really freaked me out. It wasn't like other robots that I was familiar with. But Dr. Smith, there was something about the guy, um, Jonathan Harris, who played him. Yep. Um, who I just didn't like. Like he just seemed really, I don't know, creepy. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. That was – and I, I remember my parents both loved this show. 
my mom, I remember, um, like it was in syndication when I was in the eighties. Um, and I, it was on in the afternoons or something. It was like, leave it to beaver would come yep, on yep, yep. and then lost in space would come on. And if, yep. if you weren't watching, um, soap operas, these are the things were on. And that my mom, like if I was sick, this is what my mom would put on. And I was, so I always equate it to like being homesick and creeped <laughs> out. <laughs> and so, so yeah. yeah. So, um, the, the Netflix, uh, uh, version of this is really good. Um, and I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't started it yet. But um, I will say because this is not really a spoiler. Um, uh, Parker Posey plays the Doctor Smith character, oh, and if you if I you've ever Parker seen, Posey. yeah, if you've ever seen anything uh, Best in Show or or I mean, she's just she's an amazing amazing actor. So um, so highly recommended. Um, there is it's a little. I don't want to. I'll spoil it a little bit, and I'll say that there is a Bill Mummy uh, cameo. Uh, and, and so Bill Mummy p- plays uh, the original uh, young boy, uh, Will, Danger Will Robinson, right? Right, right. Uh, uh, and then – and there is a robot. Um, and the robot is a little – you know, I never found the original robot creepy. The 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 new robot, um, yeah, you might find – again, I don't want to spoil anything, but it might – you might find him a little creepy. Um, I think it's okay for your kids. Um, it says it's a PG, right? Yeah, so there's nothing – I mean, it might just, it is, I mean, it really is, it is, it's, it, it engages you and they are put in some really like scary situations that they have to, like, doesn't really like seem like they're going to get out of them. Right. And so, um, yeah. And there's, and there's this little kid, um, Will Robinson, who is younger looking. And I think the, the actor who plays the, the Will Robinson character is younger than Bill Mummy was in the original. Um, and he's, you know, he, and he, you know, again, your kids might identify with him. He's placed in, in danger. Right. And so if they, if they identify with him, they could find it scary. So, um, but you know, there's nothing, I mean, it's, there's nothing like super, you know, gross and disgusting. Like you said, it's, it's PG. Right. So, um, yeah, we've, we've really been enjoying it. Awesome. Well, I, I will check it out. And I see that Molly Parker's in it. Um, from, she plays Marine Robinson. Um, and she is, uh, a a fantastic Canadian actress from my, um, independent, uh, movie, uh, uh, Canadian movie days. Um, so she was also in house, house of cards, but, uh, one of, I, one of my very favorite movies of all time, um, is a movie called hardcore logo from 1996. And it was, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a constant fan of the, um, mockumentary style um, movies, and so you mentioned um, Best in Show, that that kind of genre. H- Hardcore Logo is about um, a uh, punk band, a Canadian punk band that's uh, in, in in touring in, in the eighties and nineties, and it's a fantastic movie if you haven't um, had a chance to, to see it. But never even heard of it. It's it's a but it's a it's a mockumentary. Yep, yep, it's a mockumentary. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't even know if it was released in the U S I don't know if it's on, on the, on the Netflix or anything, but it is, um, so there you go. Uh, according to Wikipedia in 2001, it was named the second best Canadian film of the last 15 years. Whoa. And I probably Porky's was, was number one or something, <laughs> uh, but, but it's, uh, Hugh Dillon, who's the, uh, lead, um, 
uh, lead character plays a guy named uh, Joe Dick, and Hugh Dillon was the front man of an excellent har- uh, uh, hard rock band in Canada in the uh, '90s uh, called the Headstones. And so, so anyways, but Molly Park was in that. She plays um, really great character, and so and since then, I think that came out in 1996. Um, I've every time that Molly Parker's in something, I I, I watch. I try to watch it. Cool. I have never even heard of this movie, um, and it looks uh, it looks pretty good. It's um, pretty awesome. Yeah, and 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 I don't know. It looks like, um, as in terms of ways to get it, it looks like you can um, buy it in iTunes. Um, but I don't see any other way to get it. But uh, and this, but these things come and go, right? So. Right, right. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it'll it'll pop up. All right. Well, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna check out uh, Lost in Space. Um, okay, so before we move on from things that we're watching, uh, I uh, took my my kids to see uh, Avengers: uh, Infinity War yesterday, um, mm-hmm. and we are not. I think I've talked a little bit about this, but we're not like a huge um, superhero Marvel family. Like this isn't. But um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Thanks to really thanks to listening to. Um, Merlin and and Dan on back to work a few years ago and they talked about um those two movies quite a bit. Uh I I took my kids. That was like sort of their introduction into superhero stuff and they loved the music, they loved everything about those characters and it's become one of our uh both um Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 have become sort of favorite staples in in our uh on our soundtrack as we drive and also uh, for wa- for watching and so both so Sam all right my youngest is a little more into superheroes Jack is just like he does not he's not into fantasy he's like watches um he's all about documentaries and history and animals and and just you know usually uh, the only thing that he can get really into is he really likes the Star Wars universe but and then Guardians of the Galaxy came along so he was mm. interested in going to see Infinity War because Guardians of the Galaxy make an appearance. They're they're characters mm-hmm. in, this, mm-hmm. in this movie, mm-hmm. so that's how I got them in. Um, but before, so on Saturday night, um, I knew like very little about the Avengers, and I knew there were a lot of characters, so we had to figure some stuff out. So we watched Captain America: um, uh, Civil War, I think it's called, or something like that. And so uh, Saturday night was all superheroes. They were totally jazzed up by that Sunday morning. The boys got up and watched all of the first Avengers movie while Danny and I slept. And then yesterday we watched Avengers Infinity War. So we are like superheroed out. But it was really good. So good. No, I'm not going to give any spoilers away. But I, I'm, I, I am now uh, turning into a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, series of, of films. And it was – yeah, it was, it was cool. It's a little confusing coming into like – I don't know – um, movie number 15 without knowing all of the backstory. Uh, so I, I spent a little time on Wikipedia trying to figure it out and then explaining things. But, um, but yeah, it was good. It's well, it, it was worth my, uh, it was saw it in 3d and it was worth the $10 that we spent on it. Cool. Well, yeah. And I, I think the most recent, uh, episode of back to work, um, um, Dan and Merlin talked about it. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, Merlin did not like it so much. Um, uh, Dan did, um, and we'll link to the latest, uh, back to work, um, which has some awesome, uh, cover art, um, uh, in the, in the show notes for people to, to check out. So, yeah. And I have not seen it yet. We'll, we'll probably get around to watching it eventually when it, we can watch it from our, our couch. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Uh, we, so before we move off, I'm looking at this thing, this, uh, Netflix for movies, but like actual movies called movie pass. 
Mm-hmm. Have you read anything about this? No. Okay, this is not a product that I like. They don't sponsor us. Uh, but it's like 10 bucks a month, and you can go see unlimited movies at movie theaters. And it's... How does that even work? Well, so so how it works is you can't pre-select your tickets. You have to be within 100 yards of the movie theater, check in on the app, and then get your tickets. So, so oh, okay. So, so they're they're selling what's left. Right, they're selling what's left, and you can only do it thirty minutes before showtime. So, you, so you, you know, a busy opening weekend, you're unlikely to go. But for us, like, I mean, we went to um, to I didn't I haven't purchased this yet, but went to Avengers, and it was you know it was all all the hype was last weekend, and we saw it this weekend. It wasn't busy, um, and we went to an eleven thirty a.m. show. Uh, which is like fits into my schedule perfectly. I don't want to see movies at seven o'clock at night. Um, but it's, I don't know. I'm going to, I think we're going to try it out. Um, and it's, they, they have one level, which I think it's $8 a month and you get to see three movies a month. And then another level, which is $10 a month and see unlimited movies. And, and I think what they're banking on is, well, we're going to go see a movie. And if the one that we're not, you know, isn't available for, for all of us, then we'll just go see a movie and then we'll buy concessions, right? Like that's the business model is that we're there, we're going regardless. Well, and, and I, and I can see why it would appeal to the movie theaters because it's like, well, you know, if we're going to sell out, we're going to sell out. Um, and if we're not going to sell out, well, we're going to show the movie anyway. And so if Netflix can give, throw us a little dough, we'll get some concession money from these people. Um, and we can fill a few more seats. We're okay with that. And yeah. it's not even going to be good seat, necessarily good seats unless the theater is empty, in which case we'll, yeah, put more bodies in the seats. Right. Right, right, right. So if anybody, um, if any of our listeners have used this, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try and go ahead and do it this summer because um, when the kids are off school, if it's raining, it's you know not a bad thing. So let's go see a movie. And it's – I mean for for us, it will be 40 bucks a month. We'll try it for a couple of months. And if we go see like 30 movies, then hey, it was worth it. If we only go mm-hmm. see one movie, then it's like, all right, cancel. We're not – we won't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we'll check – I'm going to check it out. But if any of our listeners actually use this thing called Movie Pass, let me know. All right. Cool. Let's get into food safety talk. Well, we did already kind of talk about food safety. We did. We sort of started with we started started with food safety. So, hey, um, while we're so before we completely dive into food, this and this is going to be somewhat related to food safety. So, and it it also relates to like computers and stuff. So, and and also to being productive. Um, uh, so I have been spending, I spent a significant amount of, t- of time um, this weekend uh, using something called Discord. Have you heard of Discord? Yeah. So I, I, I know why I, I've heard of Discord. <laughs> you know why? Okay. I, yeah, because um, I saw someone mention Discord to you on Twitter after your appearance on Dubai Friday. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that Discord exists. I don't know anything about how it works. So it's it's a it's a social media platform. I did I did hear after I started using it. Apparently, it's where all the Nazis have gone um, that that were driven off of Twitter. Um, but not that I was going to Nazi discords. But so uh, on the Dubai Friday podcast that I was a guest on, and we'll link to episode um, seventy seven entitled "Hot Hands," um, <clears throat> where I was the I was the the guest and the nominal uh, referee or the the supervisor of the challenge. Um, um, that, uh, that podcast has a, uh, a, well, I don't know what you call them on discord. It has a channel. Discord, I think it's, uh, uh, yeah, a discord uh, community. 
I keep I keep trying to I keep trying to launch my my phone um, uh, with the microphone in front of my face and 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 uh, the the camera does not recognize me because there's a microphone in front of my face. Funny about that. Um, so yeah, so it's 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 really quite uh, it's really quite interesting. So, um, uh, and I've been spending some time there. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a channel. I guess there's multiple channels, or it's a server. Yeah, it's a, it's a serve a Dubai Friday server with multiple channels. Um, and yeah, I've been spending some time hanging out, talking with the Dubai Friday nerds uh, using that app, and it's really it's it's pretty cool. It's um yeah, it's just, it's another social media platform. It's a little bit more controlled. The idea was that you know they could basically create this gated community um, with structured discussion. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a real, uh, and, and I've just been really been enjoying uh, hanging out there and not like I need another social media thing to do, but it, it's been, it's been fun. It's been fun to chat with people. It's been fun to answer questions. And I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's a little, it's a little strange that my, uh, Twitter follower count, like just keeps creeping up. Like every day, there's just a few more people that are not robots or, or, or trolls. Right. I mean, it's, uh, or, or Russian bots. They're actual real people that have found my Twitter account. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of been good because it's putting some pressure on me to maybe do a little bit better job with Twitter and to do like, because, I'm nominally this, you know, a food safety guy. I feel like, oh, wow, I guess I have to kind of like I should really make more Twitter. And people are coming to Twitter because they heard me on Dubai Friday because they're interested in food safety and microbiology. I really should try to do more of that on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So I've been trying to be like a better Twitter citizen and more uh, not, you know, not that not that I'm going to. I mean, as I posted the other day, you know, you're, you're still going to see pictures of Johnny Weir when he's, at, <laughs> when he's at the Kentucky Derby because I'm interested in that. But uh, yeah, try to do a better a better job on Twitter, talking more about food safety. So, and it's been I don't know. So that's it's been it's been really fun. It's the whole thing has been it's been really fun. And I just want to say thanks to anybody who's found this show from uh, Dubai Friday. Um, thanks, like you guys are are amazing, and I've I've been really enjoying uh, talking with all of you. Well, I wanna I wanna talk about Dubai Friday because we haven't sure. we haven't got there. Um, I so. Uh, to to set this up, and I, I want to ask you a little bit about your your experience. But um, Dubai Fr- Friday is one of one of our favorite podcasts. Um, we you got me hooked on it, or I, I mean, I'm pretty sure you did. I, I've been listening for uh, over a year now, hmm. um, but it's it it has moved to when it comes out on on Thursdays. It's it is the or Friday, you know, whenever late Thursday, early Friday. It's it's one that. Um, whether I'm driving to work on Friday or home Friday night, I'm listening to it. I I usually burn through it before anything else. Um, I, it's, it's a great, it's a really great podcast. And, um, so, uh, Merlin Mann, who we've had on our, our show, um, is one of the hosts along with, uh, Max Temkin and Alex Cox and Max and Alex are from, uh, uh, cards against humanity, uh, amongst other, uh, other things. Um, and it's just a really fun podcast. Uh, really great conversation between um, the three. There's, uh, w- you know, one of the things that that I, I like about it is they uh, dedicate some time to uh, to politics, uh, and they're just just generally re- like really funny um, individuals. And um, the the idea of the podcast is it's a challenge. Every week they someone one on on the group. Um, 
uh, comes up with a challenge and they then spend the week doing that challenge and then report back on the challenge. And it's fun that when I, when I've explained it to people and, um, most recently I explained it to Danny because I was, she and I were listening to your episode on Friday. Um, she's like, what do you mean by a a challenge podcast? And I was like, well, for instance, one of the best challenges that I remember is, or that comes, comes to mind when I think about the podcast is eat like the president. And (laughs) where it was like order, uh, you know, four Big Macs and a fish fillet and two large Cokes and French fries and then eat that as as the show uh, progressed and and then report back on what that made you feel like. Um, That's the that's the type of challenge. Um, And and so anyway, it's been been really good. And so you um, they they have uh, talked about uh, our show and then and you quite a bit over the you, you had been on. A guest in a um, uh, an after show. Um, they have a super super secret show for those who subscribe on Patreon, and um, this was an episode about um, sous vide something, and it happened to be sous vide shoes. And they wanted to get your thoughts on why sous vide shoes um, smelled so bad, um, <laughs> and so you told them, uh, but. Um, you know, the, this, this week's, uh, episode was all, I mean, all you, um, and, uh, a really fascinating, uh, conversation about, um, you know, s- swab something, uh, I, you know, I guess was, was, you know, became, became the challenge, uh, swab your, swab your environment, swab your, swab yourself. Um, and so how did, I mean, tell, like, how did that come about? How did you get roped into this and well, not in a bad way? Cause it was awesome. Yeah, so they were they were talking about this, and so and I had been after my first appearance. Um, Max started following me on Twitter, and I think I was already already following him. Um, he had a situation which he talked about, I think, on on one of the shows or in one of the after darks where his wife was really sick, and he's he's a little. I think he plays it up a little bit for the podcast, but he's also a little bit germaphobic, right? And his wife was sick, and he's like, "Well, so what do I do? How do I sanitize the kitchen, you know, or the the bathroom, you know, just because how do I not get sick with whatever it is that that or my I don't know if his wife, but my 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 partner Veronica is is sick with, and so I gave him some advice. Um, I knew I was going to be there this summer for IFT. I'm coming out to IFT and then for the uh, Preventive Controls Alliance meeting. And I'm going to actually be like right in Chicago. And I'm like, well, shoot, I really, I really love these folks. They're, they're such a great, you know, chemistry and great podcast. I would really love to meet them in person. Um, you know, let me let them know about that. And then I also gave some feedback about something, um, else in the show and, and Max immediately got back to me or almost immediately and said, Hey, look, I, I have an idea, um, for a challenge. Could you help us do some microbiology for the challenge? And I'm like, yeah, let me see. And he sort of explained what he wanted. I did some very, very quick Googling and I found this kit, this, uh, test kit, which we ended up using on the show. And I'm like, well, here, um, here's, uh, here's a test kit and you could actually do what it is that you want to do. Like, and again, he's, he's a pretty, he's not a pretty, he's a very creative person. Um, he's not afraid to like try like big ideas and he's like, yeah, we should do this. And I'm going to order some, I'm going to order, I'm going to send one to Merlin. I'm going to send one to you. Um, I want to settle, but I want it to be a, a surprise. Right. <laughs> so, so, and then if you listen to the, uh, the after show, for episode 76, he makes this big deal and he's, he's working, you know, like, okay, well, we'll call you and, but don't tell Alex, don't tell Merlin. And then, um, there's the big reveal. Um, and, and Max loves the big reveal. Uh, there's a big reveal. Um, 
at the at the after show of of 76 episode 76 and uh, we announced the challenge and then I came back uh, to do the challenge on on 70 uh, episode 77 um and it's it's something like I think about this all the time right like I'm a microbiologist and I'm I'm constantly thinking I wonder how many bacteria are on that thing right and so this was a and my gosh I there's no reason I couldn't have done this before now I mean it wasn't like I couldn't have gone out and spent you know 33 bucks you know, or, or whatever it costs to, or, you know, 90 bucks to go and order this, this test kit. There, there was no reason I couldn't have done that, but it just never occurred to me to do it. Um, and I went, well, I could take it to the lab. I could ask my graduate students to do it, but I really don't want to do that. And and then it's like, well, Max is like, Hey, let's just do this thing. So, so cool. it ended up being a lot of fun. And I used, so we got, we each got 30 plates, 30 swabs, and then 30 of the easy gel uh, mixture. Um, and it's, you know, the, what stops most people from doing microbiology is they don't have an incubator and they don't have an autoclave. Now, an incubator, you can fake that, but an autoclave to sterilize the media, you can't fake that. And so the, 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 the clever thing about this particular technology, which has been around for quite some time, is instead of the Petri plates getting hard with agar, uh, they get hard with pectin. And the, and, and the, the trick is, that the the liquid is is sterile um, and it's liquid until you pour it into the bottom half of a petri plate, which has calcium deposited on the petri plate, and the calcium polymerizes the pectin and basically just like it would set up in a jam or jelly, causes it to set up, and that gives you your your agar plate. Now apparently the top part of the petri plate doesn't contain calcium, um, which and and it was it's it was kind of a humorous uh, bit on the show where Alex apparently for one of her petri plates she poured the liquid liquid into the top part. And so it never actually solidified. Um, but it was, it's a really, it's a really simple way for normal people to do microbiology without a lab. And it ended up being just a really, I mean, it, of course it didn't completely work and there were a lot of weird unexplained results, but welcome to the world of microbiology, right? I mean, you could cross contaminate things. You could not swab properly. You also, I think people often have misconceptions about how dirty things are. Um, like I think Alex swabbed her hands before and after washing and had very few bacteria on both sets of plates. And so that's not really, that's not really a surprise, right? I mean, because, you know, our hands are generally speaking pretty, pretty, clean. I think it blew everyone away that their, um, that their, um, uh, iPhone screens were not very contaminated, right? But then, if you go to the literature, and we, we talk about this on the show, there's a, there's a, a germ a paper uh, from from Germany where they swab people's iPhone screens and and at most had uh, or on average had one colony uh, per square centimeter on the screen. So that's a rel and with a lot of variability. So obviously the levels on people's screens are are quite low. And but but again, and and I swabbed a tomato because I knew it would be, have a lot of bacteria on it. Um, bird seed. <laughs> a lot of bacteria, um, uh, you know. But my dog, when the dog licked the plate, uh, didn't have didn't have so many uh, didn't have so many it had some, but didn't have so many bacteria. So it just it was a, it was fun for a lot of different reasons. It was good education. It was good, you know, comedic value for the podcast. It just was a, was a really really it worked on a lot of levels in a lot of different ways. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I I think I. The thing that struck me most about the entire conversation uh, goes back to something that you and I have talked about um, quite a bit, and, and what's what's kind of our our role, you you and I, in this world of of extension, um, or what are we trying to accomplish from um, from doing the, our podcast, and and w- when I might in, go on 
um, you know, do a media interview or, or what you did with, with Dubai Friday is I, part of what we're trying to do is make the science around food safety accessible, help explain why things, um, why we see things the way that we see them and why that might be differently than how someone sees it who's not in, in our food safety nerd world. And I thought that, you know, that, that entire podcast, the hour and a half or almost two hours was a, just a really a fantastic extension piece, right? Like what you were able to do was get to a community of people that are really interested in nerdy type things. And it's not a small community. I mean, they're the listenership to do by fraud. It's, it's one of the, you know, one of the more popular podcasts out there in our space and the things that, that we're listening to people know about this, this world. And you spent uh, an like two hours really talking about, food safety and, um, and amongst other things like DG, DJ <laughs> Khalid, uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, but, um, it really got to a, a very meaningful conversation in a, in a medium, like this type of conversation couldn't have existed five years ago or didn't exist in the same way, right? Like you couldn't have done what you did on the, um, you know, local news station, uh, for, for a, a two minute, uh, piece or right. even AM talk radio. Like it just doesn't, it, it, this is, it's really, it was really great. I, I enjoyed well, it a lot. Well, 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 thank you. And I would have to say too, it's, it was, there was a combination of a, and you're absolutely right. I don't think that we could have done this five years ago. Right. Um, and what made it great was number one, I've actually, I don't know if you know this, Ben, I have a, I have a podcast and I've actually <laughs> been doing it for quite some time and it's not, it's not hard, but it, it's, it's, you get better at doing it over time, right? Like it is right. a specific skill set, right? You have to talk into the microphone. You have to kind of be able to hold a couple ideas in your head at the same time. You have to kind of be able to quietly maybe search for stuff on the internet while listening. So there's a, there, there is a skill set to doing a podcast or to doing a podcast. Well, you have to have, you have to, again, I mean, it's a better quality podcast if I've got a better microphone, right? And and if I got good quality internet. And then the other thing, which I think is most important, is these guys are really smart and really quick and 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 really funny. And and they, it was like I said on Twitter. I think it's like a fire hose, right? It's not. It's, yeah. it's like trying to take a shower in a fire hose. You you don't necessarily get very clean, and it's it's and it's not. But it's a, it's a lot of fun, right? Like there were there were a bunch of questions or points I could have made. I mean, I could have, if my stamina had held up, I could have talked for many more hours and there were many like tangents that I wanted to go down, but that, but that the conversation had already moved past that. And so you just try to do the best you can answering the questions that you can and, and there, and, and if, and if something's not clear or something's a little counterintuitive, they're going to pick up on it and they're going to ask a follow-up question. Like the whole thing that we got into with, with sanitizers and sanitizers that work against norovirus. I mean, that was, that's all stuff that I knew, but, but it didn't necessarily, it wouldn't necessarily, if we, if we replayed the, 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 the tape from the beginning, we might not have ever ended up in on right. that particular discussion. We might've gone down a different road. And the whole thing about Clojurm, I mean, it didn't even occur to me, like if, if all, if all Max wanted to do was to make fun of people for their poor <laughs> handwashing skills, we just could have done Clojurm and it would have been way faster. Right. But we wouldn't have had this experience of, well, wow, let's go, let's go do some science guys. Let's go, let's go do some science. And that means you're going to find stuff that doesn't make sense. You're going to screw up some experiments. And that's, that's what science is, right? Like people, people don't, 
I think too often people don't understand really like how scientists work or how we think or how you design experiments or how often things go wrong and, and how actually how hard it is sometimes to do to do good science. But yeah, it was it was a blast. I couldn't uh, I, I couldn't have imagined it going better than it did. I mean, it really, I mean, it really went very, very well. And I think that's in, in large measure due to the fact that, that those guys just really know what they're, I mean, they pretend like they don't know what they're doing, but they really do know what they're doing. And, and I had some experience doing podcasts and so it ended up, uh, really doing a, a pretty good job. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a joy to listen to. Um, I, I know, you know, being, sometimes when I look back at some of the stuff that, that either we do or I've been part of, you're, you're kind of like trying to have some revisionists like, Oh, I wish I had said that, or I'd, I'd missed this, this opportunity as a listener that never, like never came, came out. It was, uh, it definitely sounded like a very at ease conversation and, and you were, you know, you were doing your thing and not trying to be what, what they are. And right. And that, that's what made it work. Right. Like that's, and they didn't, I, you know, they weren't having you on to be what they do. Right. Like right, that's, right. they have them. Well, <laughs> they need and, you know, you. <laughs> and well, here's the thing. It's like, I'm a huge fan and I listen to every episode, usually on the day it comes out. Right. And, and, but it was weird the way that they, cause normally their show is they don't have a guest. Right. right? And so I was like, well, I mean, I, I could talk about, um, my opinions on the, the vegan woman that buys ice cream and then get shamed on Twitter, or I could talk about Harold Bornstein. Right. Um, but I, uh, or, or I could talk about Max not wanting to share ice cream with his wife, but mostly I was interested in why, right? Like, right. was it, was it because of, uh, was because, because <laughs> of double dipping? Um, but I, I can't, I can't help it, but that's like, I've got, that's the way that I look at the world. Right. And so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't me trying to go on and be funny like them. It was just trying to me to go like, you know, it's like the advice you give to people when they go on a job interview, right? Like you, you should just, um, you should just try to be yourself. Right. Um, and don't, and don't try to be something that you're not, or what, what people think that you you know, are supposed to be. It's just it be authentic. And and in my case, it was like, yeah, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be a guy with a food safety podcast. Who's going to try to talk to these people about food safety. And I'm going to make some points and I'm going to, I'm going to land, I might, I might land a joke or two, but I'm not going to try really hard to be a jokester. Right. Cause I'm not, I'm, I'm a guy that talks about food safety. I think you're funny. Oh, I <laughs> but, think you're funny too, man. But it's cause it's just, that's what we do. <laughs> You you got to be funny here. You don't have to be funny there. Right, right. I don't I, want I don't want to like you know spread myself too thin. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I save the good jokes for for our our podcast. Right, right. Um, Max said some very nice things about our podcast. So did so did Merlin, um, and uh, it's it's always very cool to to hear hear that from from folks that that we respect um, in in this in this media in this in this form. So it's uh, it was really cool. It was great. I mean. Like I said, really great episode. Um, in, enjoyed it a lot, and it made me think more about like uh, I I I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, but um, you and I had talked a little bit. I'm I'm putting my um, dossier together. This is not like a P tape dossier, but a dossier for promotion. Um, well, let's, let's hope that there's no P tape in there. I mean, <laughs> unless you're studying that for science, I don't think I am. Not not not. Uh, in between now and when I submit it, <laughs> um, at least. Um, but something for the next promotion, right? Right? Yeah, that's uh, post tenure review. Um, so I, I am, I'm thinking about the 
placement of what we do as an extension output. And it, it really helped. It really helped me think like, I, I haven't been able to articulate it in, in text, which is what I need to do. But I got like, I, I, I got the, the difference. And I, and I think that, um, the, one of the things on, on barf blog that has been, has always been really helpful is, um, this philosophy that, um, that, the Doug and, and, and I kind of developed and, and he really articulated, which is our, our job at barf blog is, is not to, um, to tell people what to do or what to think. Um, it, and he, he sort of, uh, borrowed this from a media studies, science communication, media studies person, um, Doris Nelkin, who said the media is not here to tell you what to think. It's what, what to think, tell you what to think about, think about, yes, yeah. exactly. And exactly. that's, um, you know, that, that, that's been the, and, and I, I think that, that podcasting isn't, it's, it's not the same thing. It's not, you know, you have 200 words or 400 words or, or a, a soundbite or a quote. It, it's really to unpack what people are talking about and what people are thinking about and be able to do a, a really good deep dive into that and, and to have a conversation, right? Like, like exactly. written word doesn't allow you to do that. Right, right. And, and this is something too, and, I, and I've, I think I've shared this before somewhere, maybe just on a phone call, but I'm so, yeah, it was a phone call because we were talking about the round table that's coming up at IAFP right. and, and the fact that we are doing less symposia and more round tables and the round table, you don't, oh, it's a, you're, it's a, you, you definitely have a, a less control because it's just going to be a conversation. You don't know what left turns or right turns or, or sudden segues you're going to make. Um, and that's okay, right? Because you might get to some. It might go not so well, and it's certainly if you're a control freak and you like to, ha if you have it an, a story arc in your mind, this is not necessarily going to be that story arc. It's going to go wherever the the participants want it to go. But you've also got to kind of got to be okay with that. And there there might be some major points, there might be some major milestones along the way, but you've also got to be prepared to go wherever the conversation uh, may take you and, th and, that, and that that's okay. And guess what? That's, it's not that we're not going to stop writing, we're not going to stop doing, you know, given, given two second sound bites or pithy quotes um, or writing scientific papers, but it's just like, this is just a different venue and a different communication style with with different advantages to it. And, and we should figure out what those are and then, and then try to do that because it is a way of reaching people and, and communicating. Yeah. And, and it, and it's extension. Like it's outreach. absolutely, it it's is. Extension. Yeah, it absolutely. Is. Yes. It, it, it's funny. Um, I, I know when we went through, uh, some work, um, on a, a project that I've talked about, um, in the past, the 160 is good campaign. We started doing, working with, a. um, media buy group who is doing some advertising and they're like, yeah, if you want to get to a lot of people radio, right? Like you can get to people in their car. Um, and podcasts and, and Pandora are, are, are growing, but it's not, it's not there, but, but we don't do extension on radio, right? Like, like no one's, no one's sitting on the, uh, AM dial doing a, a 40 minute conversation on, on food safety, you, you may get a, a normal traditional story, but this, this is, we're, we've created something here and are joining this community of, and, I mean, even just looking at the, our feedback, we're, we're um, connecting with people who are in the food 
safety world who are driving from restaurant to restaurant or farm to farm or on their way to their office or working in a laboratory and and they have this space in that time that they can think about food safety and listen about food safety, but there wasn't anything fitting like plugging that hole um, in the past. And, and I you know I feel like our our podcast uh, is doing that. Um, the podcast that um, Food Safety Magazine is putting out is is doing some of that with with interviews with people in um, in our world and. That you know that that's the part that I'm trying to articulate as I, as I write this up and make the case to our college committee. It's like this is something that didn't exist that doesn't really like you're not going to see it in in our promotion and tenure guidelines it, it, that that's like number of podcasts. But I I can make the case that's that that we're we're getting to we're getting food safety information and discussion and dialogue to people who are looking for it in in a way that they weren't able to get it in the past that was only coming from um, journal articles and newsletters and listservs and conferences. And none of that's dialogue. Um, And the other thing that I would add is it's not, although you listed off some, some big segments of our audience, I like to think, and, and I would get, I would take it from, from Max's comments that the podcast is also accessible to people that are just curious about this world, right? That they're not, they're not a restaurant inspector. They don't work in a food safety lab. Um, they're, they're not a graduate student, right? Uh, in, in, in food microbiology or food safety or food science. Um, but they're just somebody who's really interested in, like, well, what is going on with romaine lettuce right now? Or gosh, do I, do I, oh, they are so interested in like, are people using their phones while they're pooping? Well, guess what, Ben? We've talked about that on the podcast, right? I'm using my phone Um, while I'm pooping. Well, and and that was my, that was my first interaction with the discord server. It's like, Hey guys, I'm here for a few minutes while I'm doing my business. (laughs) And then, and it was just because it was true and it was funny. It was, it was definitely funny and I definitely did it as a bit of a bit. Um, but it was also true and it also, it was like authentic, right? And then, and then they could respond back. And so, and that's what it's really about, I think, trying to reach people in, in an authentic voice to communicate something that you're interested in communicating and that they're interested in hearing about, right? Right, right. And, 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 yeah. and if you, and if you find us through NPR, um, and this show's not for you. Just read the show notes. We're okay with that. We're, good. We're totally good with that. Uh, all right. I want to. I want to move to um, some some stuff. So quick quick hits here, and then sure. we'll, we'll get into some some food safety talk. But um, one of my favorite government agencies who does a great job with social media, CDC, um, posted something on Friday about ticks that set the oh internet on God. fire. That Talk was about, awesome. Yes. Um, okay. So they posted the the tweet is. Ticks can be the size of a poppy seed. Can you spot all five ticks in this photo? Learn how to prevent tick bites. And so they sent uh, post a picture of a poppy seed muffin. And at, we, in my home, did spend some time looking for ticks and found all five of them. If uh, you blow the uh, picture of this uh, poppy seed muffin up uh, to to really large size, you can you can see them. Um, but what happened was that <laughs> it, it it totally it went nuts on on our little world, our little corner of Twitter, for nothing related to ticks, and it was all about well, because I mean it's you know it's like obviously the it's uh, yeah it's like I don't want any ticks on my muffin. I mean uh, uh, anyway, the, the we'll link to the we'll link to the the tweet. There's a, just a lot of people 
people saying a lot of really funny, funny things about that. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this we I hope someday to create something this good as a um, sticky factor. Let's grab people's attention. You know, this all comes out of stuff that um, that I worked on. 10 or 15 years ago on message development and food safety is you have to be surprising and you have to um, give somebody something that they weren't expecting to see. And I don't think at 4.30 on Friday afternoon anybody was expecting to see five ticks on a, a lemon poppy seed muffin. But this, uh, as of this morning, this, this tweet has 860 replies, 1,331 retweets. Now it just went up from 1,330 as we were talking, uh, 2,000 likes. And I would love to see the the analytics on this, on just the number of impressions, I think this has got to be one of the most popular things that, that CDC's put out in the last year. And what it did is it got people to click on a link to find out what you can do to protect yourself. I think, I mean, I I'm guessing that people are not only sharing this, but there there's a, a, a portion that are clicking through. Uh, well, and I would, I would be really interested to know what percentage of click throughs they got Right. Because ultimately what they're trying to do is educate people about tick bites. And it ended up being kind of about something else. But you know what? It might have also educated people about tick bites or if nothing else, people are like, oh, wow, CDC.gov has a Twitter. Yeah, I should I should go follow that because I, I care about that stuff. Right. So it, what what did it do? What did it do to their follower account and then potentially impact future communication? So, right. yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to highlight. I retweeted it, said it was great social mediaing, um, and then someone um, – I will read you a tweet that I thought was the funniest um, that came back to me, which was, how about giving us some useful information on how to remove a biting tick from your skin? I read that a tissue soaked in dishwashing detergent gets in the release. Is that true? And I don't think that this message was coming to me. I'm not even sure it was written in the tone that I just read it. Uh, but I thought – and it's someone in the food safety world who I, I kind of know of. Uh, I just thought it was funny of like, how about you give us some – useful information like well you weren't talking about ticks 20 minutes ago so i, <laughs> I think it did its job I, exactly uh yeah and i some of the some of the jokes are just are just great so uh personally i prevent tick bites by putting all my ticks in muffins and then eating them uh i mean you know there's just there's just a lot of good a lot of good a lot of good stuff uh, I, I replied uh this is a tick bagel, which I found a picture of a poppy seed bagel. <laughs> and I said, this is a tick bagel. There are five poppy seeds. Can you find them? <laughs> oh. oh, that's good. That's good. So, yeah. But that – okay. So just coming back to where we need to be in message development. And I, I, it, I, I'm, I'm working on a project that I, that I can't talk about um, too much, but it's, it, it's working on some training stuff for uh, a company that makes food. And, um, one of the things that in this, um, progression of this project that this made me think of is sort of going back to the the roots of what we did with, um, food safety info sheets and what we're trying to do here with the podcast, which is get different information to people and not be the same. Um, it's, it's very refreshing. And this company that, um, that we're working with on this project is, is like, go be real creative, be, do something super funny. Don't give us like cross contamination is important and teach people how to cross contaminate. We've been doing that and it's not working. Do something that like, we're going to give you the space to do it in a way that they, um, with, with re with resources in a way that, that you might not have been thinking about, like go, go spend some brain, brain space on this. And this, 
like this tweet was inspirational because I was like, this is it. Like someone sitting around at CDC was like, hey, you know what we should, you know what, you know what ticks look like? They look like poppy seeds. Well, why don't we show a poppy seed muffin? Let's get people to talk about ticks. And it did, it, like, I think it worked. Absolutely, it worked. Yeah, because it was short, um, it was visual, it was disgusting. Right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it's just, it was, and I, I, what I want to know is did, did somebody really know this was going to blow up like this, right? Like, like what, what did they, did they think it was going to have the legs that it did? Um, and then what did they do in response to that? So I would love to be a, a, a tick on the wall <laughs> inside <laughs> that room. Um, having that, thank you. Thank you. Having that discussion. So, uh, finding out what they, what they thought. So, but good stuff. Um, yeah, Absolutely. Um, so you and I had a, a great conversation with uh, Michelle Daniluk and Travis Chapin in episode 152, 151. I can't remember which one. We've messed up our numbers now. but uh, Well, no, it's, it's cool. It's 152. It's a short yes, one. Yes, 152. Um, and so we're, we're not we, – if, if you're interested and you're coming to listen to us in our regular podcast time around um, Romaine Lettuce, go listen to that, ep- or that episode. Because we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But I do want to um, mention one thing. And um, uh, unlike, you know, again, not being able to predict this stuff, th- this romaine um, linked outbreak has leaked into pop culture and has leaked into conversations that I'm having away from food safety. People are really continue to be concerned about it and, you know, what, what, what should I eat and how do I eat it? And uh, there was a tweet from uh, Drew Maggery, who writes for Deadspin and JQ, uh, GQ, um, who I follow on Twitter. Uh, and and Drew, Drew's a you know journalist that um, you know does a lot of you know different different stuff. And I think the um, you know he, he writes on science and, and lots of different things. Anyway, Drew wrote um, if I can click on the link here um, uh, on. Saturday morning while I was sitting at lacrosse, saw Romaine out at the supermarket and recoiled like someone had pulled out a gun. Um, and, and to which I responded or you know, retweeted it that, ah, this is the stigma of foodborne illness outbreak linked to a death in over 120 illnesses as, you know, as of right now. This is what happens. Um, and and, and um, Manan Sharma, friend of the friend of the show, asked a question that I haven't been able to answer, basically saying, do you think that the media coverage in 2006 is any different than it was today? And I would go back and and say, I bet you the media coverage in 2001 compared to 2006 compared to today, um, it's, it's all the same progression. You know, people worry about what do we know? And, and then, okay, why don't we know more? And then will I ever be able to eat this product again? Like that's the, the, the progression and how well the industry comes back is based on lots of factors. Like how much did people love lettuce and leafy greens before and romaine and, um, you know, what they've been able to answer the, the question of, but I don't think, I don't think the conversation changes. I think it's all the, after I've watched this, I think it's all the same thing every time. Um, does social media change it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The way the conversations are happening are different, but I, I don't think that we're having more. I don't think it's any any. I, I don't think the substance or the the focus is is all that different. Well, and again, we talked about this in the last episode. Uh, to me, I really 
Um, I think that what was different and it, part of it, it's the weird way that this outbreak happened, right? With uh, first it's bagged lettuce from Yuma, uh, but only bagged lettuce. And then it's, um, well, maybe head lettuce and we still don't know. Um, but I, I, I do, I am heartened by the fact that we didn't, we could, we could talk about where did the lettuce come from, right? And the fact that the lettuce was no longer coming from that place by the time we learned about the outbreak. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a different conversation than – well, I guess maybe we had the same thing with the spinach outbreak though because first it was bag spinach and then it was all spinach because we were learning that sometimes the bag spinach was opened by the supermarkets. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's not any different. Maybe it's just how we're having it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's it. I don't think the the difference is substantial. And and I think I could like, I I don't know, not to be the sage of food safety or anything, but I think this is all predictable, right? Like this is how it. This is how every one of these other outbreaks of that that's gained national notoriety works, right? Like you have. Um, you have this outbreak. People talk about it in the food safety world. Um, the industry is largely silent on this, um, and and I, you know, I'm not. I, I think that's just a, a not just a criticism that I have, but I think it's criticism that other, others have have said. Right? Like, okay, so how do you how do you learn from this? What what are you doing differently? Yeah, sure, food safety is paramount, but what like what is it about this one? And and they. Um, they, in, in air quotes, you know, individuals sort of fall back and say, well, we don't know yet. Like, yep, that's, that's fine. You may never know. So what do you do differently? Um, well, and I would say too, I mean, I, so I was at this, uh, meeting, um, a week ago, um, the New Jersey food council meeting and there were, which is basically the, the FMI of New Jersey. <clears throat> so it's retailers. And, and we, we talked about the outbreak and like uh, virtually every retailer around the table, um, did have uh, some sort of messaging, right, in their stores, right? Like we have signs, you know, that say this or that say that. Um, and so, you know, that's good, right? Like that that may be the – that it's not – so maybe – yes, maybe the industry needs to talk. But but here's the thing. How is um, United Fresh going to talk to somebody in my supermarket? They're not, right? They're going to go on national media or something. But but the, the conversation really is happening between the retailer and the, the produce manager at a particular store and a particular person that's buying lettuce or or like the conversation that I we talked about two episodes ago I think it was two episodes ago when with in delicious orchards where I'm talking to the uh, the, the the person that's uh, about to buy some lettuce you know and, and their spouse says no no that let let lettuce is not safe right so right right yeah um there's some construction going on in my office, so oh, I'm not oh, sure what it is. Actually, in your office. Well, it's not in my office, but it's very close by. I'm unsure where. Um, I, I, I can't hear it over the road noise outside my oh, house. So. Perfect. Good, good, good. <laughs> um, so uh, I know we, we talked a little bit about this um, in a previous podcast. and I'm not, we, we had some listener feedback over the last uh, couple of days that, that's not like um, for full consumption, but it has to do with uh, decaying and – um, rotting, um, uh, lettuce and, and sort of growth and, 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 in that. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that, um, here. And, and so essentially the, the root of the story goes, um, sometimes people get, um, lettuce, romaine, doesn't matter what it is, leafy greens that come to them that are a little bit funky, that, that are, 
um, starting to deteriorate quality-wise, that there's some spoilage um, microorganisms that are growing, whether that's some yeast or some some bacteria or some mold. It's you know really uh, you know uncertain, but it changes the quality attributes and. That may or may not have an impact on on pathogens. It may or may not be an indicator of temperature abuse before it got um, um, to to the restaurant. Um, and, and so I, I don't really want to talk about that. But what I do want to talk about is um, how someone may sort through deteriorating product and 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 use it. And this is from a retail standpoint. Um, I. I, I've seen um, a couple of times now at um, uh, retailers where someone may take, uh, and I've seen this with strawberries specifically, take clamshells of strawberries and sort them out and throw out the bad ones and keep the good ones. And they're doing it with multiple different types of um, labels, right? It's not like all from, right. from the same from the same grower. And I talked to a couple of retail friends who are you know familiar with this, and they're like, yeah, this is a pretty common practice. Um, and, and that's for me, like the sorting of, um, lettuce, the, you know, d- getting rid of, um, you know, some of these, um, poor quality products and then repackaging or reusing it changes our traceability, um, ability. And that's one of the things that I, I wanted to highlight. Cause it, it came from our conversation with Travis and, and Michelle. We were talking about traceability challenges within the industry, really up into a, you know, a restaurant or a retail store. And I would say there's traceability breakdowns that happen at that spot as well. Like it's not as simple as I open this bag and it all happened on the same day. We see um, a lot of commingling. Um, there was a whole conversation at Conference for Food Protection about crisping. Um, and needing a definition for that, where you may take um, leafy greens out of their um, package and then commingle them in, over a certain amount of time in a bucket or in a sink, and maybe spread contamination um, from one product to another. So I just you know we as I was thinking about what we talked about in that last episode, we didn't really focus on the traceability breakdowns post you know, delivery at food service and, and, um, and retail. And there's lots of them out there as well. Yeah. And I guess all I would say is as somebody who might be going to the store and who's going to buy strawberries, I'm of two minds about this because on the one hand, I don't want to buy a container of strawberries or I don't want to buy strawberries where half of them are nasty, right? Like I want to pay, I want to pay for only good strawberries. Um, and maybe the solution is something as simple as, you know, just indicating, okay, well, the strawberries that we're selling on this day actually are commingled, right? And, and what that, what that means is that if we, we later, or if we learn that, that one, like, so, so from, from farm A and farm B, it's not that simple, but let's say brand, brand A and brand B and and we learn that brand A is contaminated, well, now we, we have to know that, that that anything that potentially contacted brand A strawberries needs to be dumped, right? And that includes all the brand B strawberries they got commingled with. It includes the, that location on the shelf where they were. And that's just a cost of doing business. And you're trading off um, customer satisfaction and customer and quality for the customer uh, versus um, complications down, this, the, down the road in terms of outbreaks. And, and I would say that that overwhelmingly, most of the time, it's a net benefit, right. except for the one time when you have an outbreak. But honestly, if you had an outbreak with strawberries, you're probably not going to learn about that outbreak until those strawberries are 
like weeks old and, and already gone out of the store, right? So it might it might complicate the epidemiology, but it's I don't think it's going to affect the recall at all because Correct. those 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 strawberries are rotten, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, the, exactly. I think that's a, a, a the a better way to put it is it, it may complicate epidemiology and epidemiology is already pretty pretty complex for you know right. for lots of different different reasons. It was a practice that I hadn't thought about. Um, too oh much, yeah, too much before. Um, the other thing that in you know in, in this case that I that I saw was um, the the picking was also being done with um, you know bare hand contact, which is not something that I would really want to see um, in this in this setting, right? Like I I, I, I want to make sure the, like the person who is doing it is probably not someone who's doing well. I mean, let me back up. They are doing some some food handling because they're picking up my. Um, full head of cabbage, and they're taking that if it wasn't in a bag and, and putting it in into a bag. It's it's just another food employee that I don't always think about as being um, super important when it comes to food safety. But doing something here where they were handling every one of those toma- or every one of those strawberries. Well, and and I didn't share this. I thought about sharing it, but I didn't share this when we talked two weeks ago about my conversation at Delicious Orchards. But the owner that I ended up talking with was was sorting next to the romaine across the aisle from the romaine. He was sorting strawberries. Uh, <laughs> there you not, go. Not strawberries, yeah. uh, tomatoes. He was yeah. sorting. Um, well, and it's to toma- It's the it's the little tomatoes that that are so popular that are like r- ripened on the vine where they include a little bit of the vine. And and I don't know what it is how they're growing these things, but they're fantastic. And we've been buying them at Delicious Orchards. We've been buying them at Wegmans, right? So this is a high quality product that just tastes like fresh strawberries, even when it's not strawberry season in, or uh, tomato season in New Jersey. I keep saying strawberries, tomato season. They're little and they're round and they're red sort of. Um, right. But, but he was doing that sorting, um, pulling out stems that didn't have any tomatoes on them. Um, you know, maybe, you know, getting rid of the obviously nasty tomatoes and pulling them out, putting to one side, the tomatoes that had fallen off the vine that were just loose and then keeping the vine ones. And he was doing all of that with his bare hands. Now, again, from a food safety perspective, is that a risk? Yes. Is it a high risk? Well, no. I mean, as long as he's washed his hands after he's pooped, as long as he's not ill with uh, diarrheal disease, which I, he probably wasn't, I, I would, I want to say. Um, you know, I mean, people, people think, again, I keep saying this because I, I think it's true. People think hand washing is magic. People think gloves are magic and they're not, right? right? They're a risk reduction, from a risk that for a, a healthy person with clean hands is already quite quite low. And you know what? I've tested tomatoes before. You know how many bacteria are on a tomato, Ben? More like the the bigger transfer is from the tomatoes to his skin. <laughs> okay. Right, right, like yeah. more more bacteria are moving from the tomato to the skin. Now granted, uh, the tomatoes don't naturally have salmonella, right? And they don't poop out salmonella. They don't poop out or vomit out norovirus. Okay, um, but uh, yeah, the, the so so you know the the likelihood of there being contamination on one versus the other, you, we need to weigh that. But it's not. And again, I'm not I'm not in favor of not hand washing. I'm not in favor of not wearing gloves. I'm just in favor of not like lionizing these things as being some you know fantastic technology that's going to keep us all safe. It's, it's all, it's about risk reduction and it's about thinking about risk a- across the continuum. Right. And, and I look at it as minimizing the contact 
potential, right? Like, like what, right. what can we do to minimize, you know, it's, it's not going to be, and I mean, just going back to the conversation that we had at, at the start about the stuff that, that we're working on 6% of the time, that's 94% of the time that's not getting that cross contamination in, in, in an area where it's not even a professional food handler. Um, well, well and, and to, and clo- to close the loop on, on, on the delicious orchards thing, would I rather he had been wearing gloves? Yes. Would that stop me from buying those tomatoes? No, no. because I know I'm going to wash them when I get them home anyway, which is going to have a minimal effect. But it, maybe it washed off the few bacteria that might have come from his hands. But I'm not I'm, I'm not going to be it's it's not high on my list of things to worry about. Right. Right. I, I I'm you know, you've got me uh, in this model <laughs> framework mindset now. Um, and, and I'm thinking about, in a in a risk assessment world, we have, we have this other project. One of my students, uh, Chris Rupert is, is defending next week. And he looked at cantaloupe contact surfaces in retail settings, whole mm. cantaloupe. And at the start of the project, we had this hypothesis that there were, a, you know, there are, are, are some, uh, contact surfaces and maybe it's five or six things that a cantaloupe touches. And when he followed the cantaloupes through, um, the, the retail setting in, in, and this is like in, not in all cases, but in some instances from the time a cantaloupe got into the back door of, um, of a retail store, like delivered from a distribution center to the time that it got to someone's shopping bag, it would touch 17 different surfaces. And that's every time it's touching those surfaces, it it, it is, it could get, could get contaminated, right? Like there's there's a chance. More surfaces equals more more chance. Um, well, and I would say too, like think about transfer both ways, right? So right. the surface is contaminating the, the cantaloupe, but the cantaloupe is also contaminating the surface, right? And so, you know, maybe you have one hot cantaloupe that comes through um, and then subsequent uh, cool cantaloupes are going to be made warm by the transfer from the surface, but it's really, there's bacteria moving around between all those surfaces all the time. It, yeah, it, absolutely. And um, I think what we're what we're kind of missing in some of our um, risk assessment discussions is that kind of stuff, right? Like, like if you, if you just said, okay, we know that, um, there's a display, um, we'll, we'll put a variable in on, uh, contamination, that display. Well, it's a little more complicated than that because that display may have three or four different surfaces that a cantaloupe's going to touch. So now we have to look at, well, which of these surfaces is more likely to harbor, Listeria, for instance, which is what we were looking at, or you know, salmonella for purposes of uh, of um, of cantaloupe, uh, and then transferred uh, to that to that cantaloupe. Like it, these systems are complex, and when we start looking at what does it look like in in real life, it becomes like. And, and I mean, go back to the to the strawberry sorting. I, I would assume that there's a bunch of food handlers that touch those strawberries. Um. But you know, before it gets to me, I think that someone is pulling it off of um, the uh, you know they're picking it into a basket and then someone's sorting it from those baskets into the clamshells. And maybe there's a third person who's now weighing those clamshells and making sure from a quality control standpoint that there's enough. So they're like checking to make sure and adding another one. So maybe in the in the post harvest at a farm or at a packing facility, I've got three sets of hands. What I didn't think about until I saw this practice was, you know, there's probably sorting that's going on 
at the distribution center, maybe that if someone sees a particularly, you know, a leaky, um, uh, you know, bad, not bad shipment, but highly decaying shipment that there's some sorting that's going on. So now I've got a, a potential for a food handler at a distribution center when I never really thought about that before that, that distribution center to me was just a place where there's pallets that are moving back and forth in cases. And then another person who might be a cashier who's sorting, um, these, these strawberries or someone in the produce department or whatever. So, so, so there's like, instead of one set of, instead of three sets of hands, it's maybe five or six. And that's what we saw with the, um, with the cantaloupe was maybe we thought there were five or six, uh, um, surfaces, but really it was like 17. So all of those things are going to go into, well, where, where should we put our uh, resources to control? Because maybe, maybe the hands at the retailer are more or as, you know, maybe they're not as important as the ones uh, in the packing facilities. Maybe they are. I mean, I just don't know what the, what the prevalence is of, of that hand um, touch uh, that happens. So. It, right. It, well, it, and, yeah. and I would say I would worry more about like, let's say, you know, let's imagine that one of those distribution center workers is sick with salmonella versus one s- supermarket employee that's sick with salmonella. How much damage are they going to do? Right. <clears throat> yep. And I would say that the person that's handling all those strawberries all day, every day, if they if they run into the bathroom because they've got diarrhea, that's a bigger risk than somebody in the grocery store who, you know, again, it depends on what they're doing. Maybe they're going to be handling strawberries and tomatoes and lettuce and maybe even those people are even going to be handling the outside of the package, right? And so now, I mean, it just makes the epidemiology that all that much more complicated. Again, and the, I would come back to the bottom line is I really don't care so much about whether, whether they're wearing gloves or what they're doing. I just want them – if they're sick with <laughs> diarrhea, I don't want them anywhere near my food. I want them home, right? right? Yeah. And, Until they're asymptomatic. Right, right, right. And, and I've um, – in, in my experience working with different aspects of the food industry, that conversation is much more prevalent – closer you get to the consumer or the customer, right? Like, um, there, there's a lot more focus in, in that, um, food, there's more focus on food employees and food handlers in retail and restaurant settings than there are at distribution centers. Well, it, and the it, other thing, you know, now that I'm thinking about it at distribution centers, if I, I think strawberries is maybe not a good maybe, choice yeah. because I think the pH is too low, but for a food that will support the growth, if it's injured or damaged, then, then you've got to also add time and temperature. So if it's, if it's uh, tomatoes that are, that are damaged, that are being handled by a sick worker, and we know that tomatoes will grow salmonella, we've done, we've done research to show that cut tomatoes will grow salmonella. And so if you, if you're, you have a, a sick worker who's handling tomatoes, uh, that are injured or cut, and then you've got again tomatoes are being held at room temperature, which is you know close to ideal for growing salmonella for days and days. That's a much more higher higher risk than well, I don't know, but it's also going to be if it if they're sit on the supermarket for a for a day. I, you know the problem is this is why this is why we need more risk assessment and more risk assessors is that the systems are just too complicated, right? They, or, yes. or they're not that they're too complicated, but that they can be incredibly complicated. And even the even the complex models that my lab is building today are are not complex enough because they don't handle all these uh, 
factors. But again, maybe, yeah, again, with risk assessment, it's not, it's not about how complete is it, but have you really identified the important factors? Because if you, if you have a simple risk assessment, but that identifies the most important factors, that's going to be way more useful than an incredibly complicated risk assessment that doesn't, doesn't actually consider the most critical factors. Well, and, and I would say that we also need more people looking at what are the, what, what is the actual movement of the product look like? Like not, not supply chain people. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I think that helps us in transactions and movement and that's has benefits in the recall and epidemiology uh, area. But the, you know, when we started looking at cantaloupe handling practices, um, there wasn't anything out there on what are the touch points? What are the contact surfaces? Like we know that there are some, but there just isn't, there isn't a lot of work that's being done to explore that. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the stuff that we're, we're, we're good at it and feeding it into a risk assessment is, is something that, um, you know, that's what you're good at. Um, but, but I don't think there's enough people looking at, uh, you know, at that, um, and, and really diving into the complex, um, system and, and doing it in a way where you're trying to catalog it or trying to watch it. Um, you know, that's, I, I, I think that we've got folks that are like, here's what it looks like on a farm. And there are these things, but we're not doing a great job sort of cataloging prevalence of, of touching and, and where it is all the time and then well, right and- through the, the whole thing. And related to that, like we've been, I've been trying to work with Michelle and some other folks to get money for several years now to study cleanability of surfaces in packing houses, right? Because we know that there are good surfaces and bad surfaces or surfaces of varying degrees of cleanability and transferability. And what we'd like to do is we'd like to do some research to help uh, owners of packing houses or managers of packing houses prioritize getting the, the, the really hard to clean or, or potentially problematic surfaces out of those packing houses. Well, to do that, we need a comprehensive study of survivability and transferability of microorganisms on packing house uh, surfaces, right? Um, and we just haven't been able to get the funding to do it. But that's, that's again, and that's a risk-based approach. And you could apply the same thing to retail. Like, what are the surfaces that are most likely to be contaminated? And of those, which are the ones that are the hardest to clean? Well, guess what? Let's get those the heck out of the retail environment so that you put in surfaces that are less likely to become contaminated and then are easier to clean when they do, right? Right, right. Abs- yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're, I'm, I'm cognizant of your time. I know you have a flight to catch to get here. Where do you want to go next? Well, I, I think it's I think it's very important um, uh, that we read some very important feedback that we got on episode uh, one thirty three. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and uh, this is uh, from uh, Williams. Um, uh, and Dr. And, and Williams has read a lot of Dr. Mabua breakthrough testimonies, and that's what has inspired him to contact us. Um, uh, he ins- it inspired him to contact uh, this great herbal man. I'm not sure if you're the herbal man or I'm the herbal man. Maybe um, since this was about um, the episode was a murder she wrote. It may be that Angela Lansbury is the great herbal man. Herbal man could be, um, but but Williams is apparently a sufferer of hepatitis B. Um, and it, this, this disease almost took his life, uh, uh, some things ago, <laughs> literally some things ago, um, many somethings but he, ago, but many somethings, um, but, but he met this, uh, herbal life, uh, saver. And so, um, I think he's trying to sell us something. 
Um, but anyway, it's a rather humorous uh, spam comment, which has now been deleted. Um, uh, so sorry about that, uh, Williams uh, Campbell, um, uh, who wants to uh, talk to the great herbal man <laughs> about something. Um, uh, let me let me suggest uh, that you. Um, yeah, uh, this is not uh, this is not a podcast for you um, and your uh, hepatitis B uh, cure. So maybe thank maybe NPR would be a good place. Yeah, for... I think so. I think so. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> we get we get feedback sometimes. Um, yeah, we, we got a, a little other feedback. Um, we don't have to go to it in, in great detail. Um, uh, I want to thank uh, Craig, uh, who I'm calling Craig the Cable Guy, public health inspector. Um, <laughs> uh, he gave us some feedback on hard-boiled eggs, saying that he had heard that an F- at an FDA class that uh, eggs that had been hard-boiled and allowed to air dry were not potentially hazardous and that were shelf-stable. Um, I, I guess, I mean, I'm, I, I, we gave our opinions on that. Oh, the other thing I would add, too, in terms of egg uh, feedback, um, uh, we did test some hard-boiled eggs uh, just the other day at a Rutgers University dining hall oh. and <laughs> did, did, not, did not meet our standards. Um, so... Uh, I guess just be, be, I mean, you know, it's, it's the devil's in the details. I'm not sure that a hard, a hard boiled egg that's in shell, um, may not be, uh, TCS, uh, temperature control for safety, or as it used to be called in the old days, potentially hazardous. But again, I'd like to see the analysis. I think so, so often, and this is a common thing on this show. So often we see experts proclaiming something and I'm perfectly willing to listen to experts, but I also ask that they, they provide their logic and their, their, their feedback, um, uh, so that we can arrive at a, um, you know, uh, see how, see how science-based something was. Um, a little bit more feedback from uh, our perennial uh, fan, uh, Deep New England, uh, who asks, um, why don't bacteria thrive on bread? It's only slightly acidic. It's carbohydrate rich. It's moist and stored at room temperature. Um, and I think the short answer to that question is that these are low water activity products. In other words, the, if you were to measure the water activity of bread, you would find that in many cases it's less than 0.85. Um, I, I will share uh, that based on some conversations I had uh, back in 2001 uh, with Katie Swanson, um, uh, Katie indicated that based on some research that that her company at the time had done, uh, white bread might actually support the growth of an organism like Staphylococcus aureus, but we don't have problems with white bread, sliced white bread, because um, we slice the bread in a way that the inside of it does not become contaminated with Staphylococcus aureus, um, and that the crust is probably lower uh, water activity such that the organism won't grow. I would say also, based on the the NACMF challenge study document that we've talked about a bunch of times before on the podcast, um, one of the the products that FDA was quite interested in us looking at for challenge study purposes would be focaccia bread, uh, where the bread is baked with uh, potatoes or onions or things. Tomatoes, maybe. Tomatoes that could be contaminated. Um, And and really what matters there is like what's the pH and what's the water activity of both components and then what's the pH and water activity at the interface because you could imagine um, bread that was high pH and low water activity, a tomato that was low pH and high water activity, but at the interface, uh, it's optimal. And so if you got a little bit of contamination, let's say staphylococcus from somebody's hands, um, handling that tomato and you didn't uh, properly bake off the focaccia, um, you might have a problem. So, so the short answer is that breads are low risk because of low water activity. But if you start including um, things in the bread, uh, that potentially changes. Or if you start uh, manipulating the bread recipe too much, um, that can lead to that can lead to trouble. Um, 
And then finally, a little bit of feedback. Um, apparently, there is a store coming to uh, the mall near me. Uh, don't be creepy. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, going to sell. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Um, that's going to sell. Uh, those are those are all Dubai Friday references, folks. If you don't get that, you just have to listen to all the podcasts going back to the very beginning of podcasts. Um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, so the, apparently there's a store uh, coming to a mall near me that's going to sell raw cookie dough. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, I uh, it's called uh, Dough Life, I guess that uh, yeah, Dough, dough Life. Um, uh, so uh, we might uh, we might go to that. I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the – I like cookies. Um, I'm a big fan of ice cream. I really don't care for cookie dough or cookie dough ice cream. That's Those are not, not my go-to uh, flavors. But uh, I do want to thank uh, the listener for uh, providing that uh, providing that feedback. So, And that was from uh, Lewis, listener Lewis, who says, please share all details freely. Um, yeah. Oh, and then uh, he asked for a little bit of feedback on uh, romaine lettuce. But uh, again, um, uh, hopefully the last episode cleared that up. Um, uh, lettuce is probably no riskier than it was before. Um, most of the Yuma lettuce is, is gone. So um, and then and then finally, a little bit of feedback um, um, from Mike Batts on Twitter, who explains um, uh, why it's very important to sit close to the router. And this has to do with a um, uh, a link on Twitter that says that listeners gave more credence to a scientist's radio interview when the audio was good quality um, than they did when the same material was presented in poor quality audio. So hopefully you guys are trusting everything that we say uh, because we are coming to you in high quality audio. And 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 again, um, it, it Bats is uh, hopefully sitting uh, close to his router uh, the next time he's uh, he's a guest on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. We should, we should have him back soon. We should. We should. Um, so I don't have anything else to to add. I think uh, I think that's a that's probably a show. Um, yeah. What do you think? Oh, you know, one thing Wait. I do I I do I do want to talk about because this came across my desk. I don't know. Have you seen this? Um, this because it's it's technology and it's it's related to what we do. Um, have you seen this Food Keeper app? I have. I'm familiar with the Food Keeper app. You know, what do you do? You have any thoughts on it? Um, I think it. Um, yes. I, I think, can you, can you share those thoughts with me? I can, I can. I think what it does is something that I'm not always super happy about and it confuses quality and safety. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and, and I understand why it does that because the task that was probably asked was how long should you tell people to keep food for? Uh, what I, I, I have it on my phone. Um, I, I saw, actually saw somebody, um, give a, I've seen a, a couple of presentations on it and, uh, I think there's stuff in here that is very much in line with the foodsafety.gov messaging, um, and which you and I have been, have raised some, some criticisms of, uh, in the past of not always being, um, uh, risk based and, and you, we come at it with a lens of, if you want to tell people how to keep, how long to keep their food, Let's make it for safety reasons and not quality reasons. And other people have different uh, differing opinions that say, no, no, we should tell them about what's for what's the best for quality as well. Um, and so I understand why it's built the way it is. It's just not how I would build it. Well, and I, I, I mostly I want to know, like, 
how did you decide on that number? Like, I don't care so much if it's for food safety or for quality, but like show your work, right? Like, and, and so, and the reason why I mentioned this is I got a, a phone call on Friday from somebody who is found my name because I'm the New Jersey state HACCP contact for USDA, but she was emailing me about uh, safety of cheese in a nursing home refrigerator. So it's, but again, you know, this is the world that we live in that people just like look up stuff on the internet. And her question was how long um, should uh, open shredded cheese be kept in the refrigerator? She said that somebody from USDA told her a month, but she didn't like necessarily believe that or she wanted a second opinion. And I'm like, well, gosh, you know, I'm this this risk guy. How would I come up with an answer? And so the so one thing I did was I looked at the Food Keeper app, okay. But the other thing that I did because I'm this is the, apparently the way I'm going to solve all problems right by now right now is I just I plugged it into Combase and I said, well, okay, first of all, let's find out pH and water activity of cheese. And so I assumed water activity of 0.95 and a pH of 5.2 because I'm going to show my work. Um, I assumed a storage time of 5 degrees C. And then I said, well, okay, how long would it take to get a one log increase in listeria assuming no lag phase? And the answer is about 11 days at that pH and that water activity assuming that temperature using the Combase model. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, Okay, so so eleven days. Well, eleven days does not match what it says in the Food Keeper, right? The Food Keeper app says a month. So it's like, well, how could I? <laughs> this is not the way you should do science, kids. Um, how could I? What? what how could what, I get it to be a month? How could I get to a month? Yeah. Right. Um, and I said, well, so let's look at spoilage. And then, of course, really, it's probably mold spoilage. But I said, well, Pseudomonas doesn't uh, – Combase doesn't have mold, but it has Pseudomonas. So um, now Pseudomonas does not go down to a water activity of 0.85 in Combase. It only goes down to a minimum water activity of 0.961. But if you run both models, both Listeria and Pseudomonas, at 0.9. Uh, 0.961, they're the same. So, okay. So, so what that means is that under those conditions, um, Listeria acts like Pseudomonas. Now, if you go to both of those models, uh, or if you, no, sorry, if you go back to the Listeria model and change the water activity down to 0.95 again, and you look for a three log increase, because some people would say with Listeria, it's a low dose pathogen, um, or it's not a low dose pathogen. You need higher levels. I know FDA and I disagree on that. Um, Actually, it comes the time for a three log increase is 821 hours, which is about 34 days, which is about four and a little bit weeks. And so, you know, I know that they're not going to do that for this application, but I just thought that was kind of an interesting a thought exercise. Now, when the person that emailed me for the information, uh, when I got back to her, I did not send her any of that that I just shared with you, but I, I did want to share it with you because I thought it was interesting. I did share her. And so the Food Keeper app um, also has a web page uh, where you can look up the same stuff. And I just sent it to her and I said, well, this is what the Food Keeper app says. I think that's a those those numbers are probably okay, right? Which was probably good enough for her purposes. I I could I didn't feel strong enough about my logic to advocate for eleven days versus versus three to four weeks. So anyway, I, I and I don't know why. I mean, I introduced this partly because I did all this all, all quote unquote all this work, and I wanted to share it with somebody. But like. I, that's the kind of thinking that I would like to see more of. Yeah. Admittedly, time-consuming and maybe at the end not so satisfying. If what I'm going to try to do is, 
um, back into an answer that already matches what some bureaucrat made up, <laughs> you know, or it could be what somebody in from food service or for, from, I mean, it's a, it's a joint, uh, app between, uh, USDA and FMI. Maybe it's some FMI expert that pulled that number up, but I would like to see more of like, how did you actually get to that number? Even if, if yeah. it's a, all you did was you asked an expert, that's fine. That's total. That's a totally legitimate way to answer a question, but just tell me like who, who the expert was or tell me what their, their experience was and what data they used to get that number. Right. Cause I can, I can give you a bunch of different numbers and I can tell you as a model or how I got there. Um, but if you don't have that, then I just want to know, like, how did, how did you come to that? So anyway, well, and I'm going to, I'm going to send you, or I've sent you a couple of links and mm -hmm. I, I don't know the entire history of this, but I think that the food keeper come like the, the numbers come from some old, old, old extension publications. Um, and one, um, so I sent, I sent you two. One is from Texas A&M that has, I don't know what the date on this is, but I think it's from 1994, maybe. Um, no, I must be a little newer than that. Most of the references are from the early nineties. Um, and then an updated version of this safe home storage that Elizabeth Andrus at university of Georgia did. And I think like, I want to, I'm going to highlight one of the things in here for you to talk to, 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 that we should push on a little bit and ask, um, in, I just moved meats. Where's the cooked? There's something in here that's fascinating. I'm sure. Um, well, while while you are doing that, I also want to uh, call out a couple of publications from Rutgers University, uh, written by my colleague uh, Daryl Minch. Um, uh, one is Home Storage of Foods Refrigerator and Freezer Storage, and then Home Storage of Foods Part Two Shelf Storage. And we did this in New Jersey as well. And I reviewed these numbers that Daryl came up with. And like every state, it seems, has these. And I'm pretty sure that they're all just copying each other's yes. numbers. <laughs> and, and and that's that's okay-ish because people need answers. But I would like to at some point go back and say, okay – like what's the what's what's the range of numbers that people it's kind of like the research that we did that I did with my graduate student on hand washing signs right like let's look at the world of hand washing signs and look at the world of and again cuz I like numbers and I like distributions of numbers like let's look at uh, what all of these extension publications say, and then I mean, it would be. It, I mean, I say that because it's. It, it seems mean, interesting, fun, yeah, and interesting. But it's a huge amount of work. But ultimately, we need to to at least for people to begin to show their work. So anyway, what was the point right. you wanted to make? All right, so meats cooked is yeah. the uh, the version or the uh, subcategory I want to talk about. Bratwurst pre cooked five to seven days and refrigeration. Can meat open two to three days. Meat and meat dishes cooked three to four days. Gravy meat broths one to two days. Why are all these days different? Well, and what I, I'm at least as interested in is why is there a range? Right. Huh. What, okay. Exactly. So, so fresh uncooked uh, chops two to four days. Well, okay. Is it two days is or it, is it four days or is it three days? And which is the right number of days for meat? Right. And, right. And and also we have if you look at there's a range in my in the refrigerator at 37 to 40 right so this is assuming that everyone's doing things you know below 41 degrees well I I do want to answer the question of well, what does it mean if it's 42 degrees 
right? Because people have their refrigerators right. set at 42. So, so anyway, yeah. And, and honestly, Ben, people have their refrigerators set at 45 and they don't know it, right? Exactly. And this was, again, one of the, th- and thanks to the Max for allowing me to give this shout out. Like that was one of my points on, on the Dubai Friday is like, get a thermometer for your refrigerator and get a thermometer for your, for your meat, right? Because uh, that's going to help you be more quantitative and scientific. Yeah, it's going to, yeah. It, if, you, if you're really into this, this will help you, help you figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, and it's going to be much more helpful when you call somebody like me and ask me to <laughs> tell you whether you should throw something out or not. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, because then I don't have to answer, well, it's complicated and it depends. It's like, well, it's, it's still complicated, but it depends on less now that you've given me some data. Yes, yeah, yeah, I can – exactly. Um, all right, so any if there's any student out there who's really interested in this or anybody wants to take this as a as a project, I think it's very like I, I agree. I think this is the starting point to be able to try and change these numbers to something risk based is to first figure out what was show your work, where did it come from, um, and what's what's happened since 1993 that might give us more informed decision making. Absolutely, so, cool. All right, well, I think that's a I think that's a show. That's a wrap. All right. Um, so, uh, I will, uh, I will, I will see you later today. Um, and the listeners won't be able to uh, hear that conversation, but I I will have safe travels, uh, Don, and I'll, uh, I'll see you later on. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, this cool. one went almost almost two, two almost hours. Two hours? But I'm, I'm good. I, I got I still got half an hour to pack to go to the okay, cool airport. So I'm cool. All right, so I'm gonna your your flight gets in around three thirty. Is that correct? Yep. Okay, perfect. Yep. I will be there and I'll pick you up. Do um, you have my you have my flight information? Uh, no. Can you? I will, sh- te- yeah. I will text it to you. That would be awesome. Um, and then I will. And then when do you do you fly out tomorrow or do you fly? Out, you might have already told me this. Do you fly out Wednesday? Wednesday. You you leave. Um, before me, I do. Yeah, my flight's at five tomorrow, so I'm gonna um, do my talk, and then it's right by the airport, so I'm just gonna go straight there. Um, cool. Okay. Uh, I've got this one, and yep, we did get. I was uh, we, I was looking because as I always like to do for the after show, um, <laughs> there we have uh, a couple of more ratings on. Oh. Yeah. Um, cool. 
And I wanted to mention something in the actual – so for people that have made it to After Dark, um, this, is, this is for you because we got a question about um, where someone can listen to our episodes back before like yes. 38. I think that's the one that's on iTunes or maybe it's the last 100 that are on iTunes. Well, they're all on the Food Safety Talk website. So you can listen to it and download the MP3 on on the website, which is not the most convenient way to do it, but it's still possible. Yeah, and then the other thing that I still keep meaning to do when I have some time is to to take those that are in the uh, on that are stored on Amazon S3 and move them so that they're actually on the Squarespace site. Oh, um, good idea. Uh, which which will at least put them, you know, in well, assuming Squarespace stays in business, um, will be a, a place where they'll they'll they will still exist. So that's a possibility as well. Right. So, but anyway, in the meantime, you can always listen to them. It's not the most super convenient, but if you really are a purist and you want to start with episode one or episode zero, uh, you can you can find uh, links on the Food Safety Talk website. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so this one, the reason why I was thinking about that is one of the comments that we got was from Deep Lemon. Which is food safety talk has become one. Of, this is from March fourteenth of this year. It's become one of the highlights of my podcast listening. <laughs> ben and Don are a pleasure to listen to, and each new episode is such a treat. If you're like me and want more than uh, the biweekly episode, check the back catalog because it's lengthy and evergreen. So, oh yeah, nice. well thank you, Deep Lemon. And then uh, ignorance uh, heart uh, posted something on April nineteenth that says two guys timely topics thought-provoking conversations, witty banter, and some relevant food safety for us non-PhD types. Good oh, way to kill the longest yeah. commute. So. Oh, cool. Well, thank, thank you for that feedback, listeners. Yeah. Awesome. We, we do appreciate it. Cool, cool. All right. So let us take a look here, a look-see at when we should do this again. Now that we're not going to Chicago for the NRA show, I can delete that. Um. I could do um, May 21st, I think, two weeks today. Uh, I am holding that day for potential candidate interviews for the search committee that I'm on. I'm also doing the same thing, uh, but it's for just for telephone interviews. So, okay, so I don't so, know what time that is, but I have. yeah. Well, and unfortunately, I I, I that's just oh god, I'm just this. I don't want to say too much publicly, but let's just say it's not the most rewarding committee I've been on. Um, uh, how about Wednesday that same week? Wednesday the twenty third. I am teaching a workshop all day, Ugh. so sorry. What about the twenty fourth? Twenty fourth in the morning. Yeah, twenty fourth in the morning would be awesome. I'm I'm. I have uh, one thing that I that I goes from nine thirty until twelve thirty, but I only need to be there for a half hour at some point. So, so what time do you want to so do? So I'm good any time in the morning. We'll work around our food safety talk. Yeah, whatever. What would are you going to be at home? Would you prefer like a ten a.m. start? Yeah, I'll be. I will be at work. Okay, I believe. Because uh, I'm meeting somebody for a 1:30 appointment, so yeah. So let's do uh, let's do 10 o'clock. All right. Cool. 10 till noon held. All right. Perfect. I will. Right. Uh, I will see you in uh, in a few hours, and I got your text with the with the uh, flight. Cool. Details. So sounds good. Cool. I will. I may park. I may not park. It depends. Um, That's fine. If you're, well, so, yeah, just text me when you hit the ground. Yep. And I'll let you know where I am. Sounds good. Cool. See you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.